Yeah, uh, welcome to podcast episode number four. It's time to really get them cranking. We got to four. Thank you, everybody, who made this possible. Um, It's been a very long journey, lots of twists and turns. After one, I didn't know how this thing was going to go, and um, a lot of people stepped up. This was a team effort, Um, and it just goes to show, it just goes to show that you can't do, you can't do anything in life alone, Um, and uh, just the fact that I'm at four is living proof of that, and I'm so grateful for everybody who contributed and and uh, who was involved with this, and I couldn't have done it without your support and without your your funding. To be quite frank, frankly, to be quite frankly, it's uh, great to have money. Um, and uh, my dog is uh, whining. Chode. What a cat! Jeez. I'm in the throes of some of the best days of my life. I'm in the throes of uh, my zenith. And it's so great that I get to share that with you. Wow. Aren't these the best days of our lives? That's what um, somebody told me. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, once I heard that, I was like, wow, that that is true. We are in the best days of our lives. Um isn't it true? Wow. I love when my dog whines. I love it. It is so fun. It makes me makes me happy. It pleases me. Fucking screeches for no reason. <laughs> it's every day is a blessing, right? No. No, it's not. I was listening to Travis Scott album i was listening to rodeo and uh he said let me tell you how i turned scott and uh, i feel like that is something i would like to know how'd you turn scott let me tell you how i turned scott that should be a good story i'd imagine let me tell you how i turned matt let me tell you how on the block it's took a long time let me tell you how I turned colors. Let me tell you how I made leaves. Let me tell you how I made leaves. Let me tell you how. Let me tell you. Let me pray for us. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I believe him. I believe that he turned Scott. You know, every moment is worth recording, apparently. That's what we're trying to do nowadays. Let's capitalize off of even just the thoughts that we had, the stupid thoughts we have running through our brains. Oh, we can profit off of that? Record it. I'd like to profit off of the dumb thoughts, T-H-O-U-G-H-T-S, in my brain, and the dumb thoughts, the T-H-O-T-S in my brain. Um, It's really... It's a good thing that T H uh, O T has a has a different word that it already means, so that you can get it mixed up. So you can say thoughts, T H O U G H T S, and uh, people could could misread it to think that you're saying thoughts, the other one. Um, 
but it's it's a good day uh it's really good overcome your fears uh breathe a new breath give it your all these are my creeds and these are my my proverbs for you today these are my dictates uh they're my uh they're my points of reference you know they're they're my facts that i can go back to and say that's a part of me that i'm tethered to i'm tethered to reality by these points of reference that i because without those things i have no stable ground and i'm always moving that's the problem is that we're always moving but do we consider that there's also stopping move 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 want 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 same direction all the time in life there's also stopping breathe now don't breathe don't breathe that's a stressful situation if you're not breathing that can give you anxiety like i have a lot of anxiety because i'm not breathing sometimes there is a whole hour yesterday i didn't breathe and it's really worrying me i need to see a therapist um some of us have passion for different things i have passion for uh passion fruit and I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but passion for passion fruit. Uh, and um, it's really just a, a passion of mine and something that I'm really interested in. No, that's just what I like to do. Like a scientist who has studied fleas his entire life. No, I just love fleas. I'm very passionate about fleas and the anatomy of fleas uh no you're not i love share no oh i love the rolling stones oh man i just i love blink 182 i love radiohead i love radiohead no you don't oh i just love radiohead well, Radiohead doesn't want your love. Do you ever consider that? Maybe you don't love Radiohead. I love Radiohead. Oh. It doesn't matter if you do. You can actually love Radiohead, but uh cut it out. You don't you don't want them. I'm not critiquing anyone's fans. I'm just critiquing that there are fans. Oh, I just, I love Indiana Jones movies. No, you don't. <laughs> no. How about that? What about that I don't buy it? I don't want to be part of this vision you have for the world where I accept that you love Indiana Jones. Maybe I see you as being identified as more than that. I don't accept I don't accept, and so because of that, I am isolated and lonely. But you know what? There's better things on Earth than me accepting that you love Indiana Jones. I don't need to let that be part of my day. Oh, you do? I'm not going to agree to your reality when I have a reality that I want to purport. My reality best. My reality wins. Do you ever... Uh, do you ever consider the possibilities? Mm-mm, possibilities. So why did Campbell's Soup make that their slogan? Mm, possibilities? 
I guess it ties them to hopefulness and uh, hopefulness. Oh, possibilities. I guess there's always new things to discover with Campbell's soup. I didn't realize that. Wow, it's a lot of different flavors. Campbell's soup wasn't lying when they said possibilities. They were, though. You can really only go so far in your exploration of Campbell's soup. And you don't have to go to a grocery store to understand that to be true. You can understand it from your own kitchen without having ever had Campbell's soup. Uh, but that conversation isn't necessary. I'm here today to talk about the unknown. Because that's all that I aspire to talk about. I aspire to talk about the unknown. It's more fun to just talk about nonsense. It's easier to talk about nonsense. Because if I'm talking about the unknown, I feel like I'm being held to some sort of standard. But it's a standard because there because we lived in a, we live in a strict world. And uh, I say that from the perspective of we could possibly live in a world that isn't strict. Do you realize that? It's possible to live a, for us to live in a world that we're not subject to all these different kinds of authority. And we so that uh, we have freedom of freedom of speech. Because uh, we do have freedom of speech, it's just that uh, there's a lot of different lines of speech that we could be interested in, and there's a lot of different ways that we can communicate what's true to ourselves that are not uh, accepted by our society. But I'm saying, like, uh, objectively, we have the capability of living in a society free from some of the authorities so that we can speak freely about things like I don't really like or I mean I do like it's just uh it's more difficult to go into speaking about stuff that's philosophical when you have all these people out there that are like stringent on their philosophy like uh etiquette because they're like people that are from a philosophy background and have to adhere to all the rules of philosophy because if you say something wrong they're like well actually there's a rule actually um the prevailing train of thought is that uh the individual doesn't have power in light of the antithetical arguments of christianity you know there could be somebody out there saying something like that because because these the people involved with these bodies of knowledge that identify themselves with them are very litigious about the execution of the dictates of the bodies of knowledge, about the execution of the dictates of math and science and philosophy. And uh, I don't I don't seek to vilify them. I'm just saying like it's interesting that you can't say anything mathematical at all on your own because uh, the second you say anything mathematical that's sort of on your own or like your interpretation of the math that's in front of you, your interpretation of it, like you kind of want to put it into your own words. You're not allowed to put math into your own words is what I'm saying. And I think that that is a problem. Like you can't interpret, you can't put it into your own words because the second you do, you've broken a law and a math professor will be like, what they'll be like, actually, uh, it's supposed to be, you're supposed to say over before you say the elements of, of a set or something you know it has to be a certain order you can't you have to say everything exactly right because it's very litigious um and i'm saying it's possible and it will happen one day not that i i know that it would happen in the near future it's possible for us to live in a society that we don't always have to adhere to the authorities of academia and 
and so I'm in a I'm in a battle with academia. But the reason I'm in a battle with academia is because um, because I desire to I desire to speak what's true to me. And uh, the second that I want to say something that might differ, like uh, I might present a definition that differs from a mathematical definition, I'm definitely not allowed to do that. And I'm not allowed to say like, like I, I think that the square root of minus one is this other possibly more truthful explanation. I'm not allowed to share that in the world. And so I realized that the problem with presenting an alternative definition is not arriving at one. It is presenting it in the world, in a world that will, that is very ready to not accept it. It's, it's trying to present what you say is true. Like it's the problem with trying to present an alternative definition within mathematics is that people will write you off immediately because subjection, like a subjective interpret interpretive perspective of anything mathematical is not, is already not accepted. So the challenge is even saying it at all so much so that when I talk about things on my podcast, I don't talk about like what you could change mathematically. I talk about that. It's impossible for me to say it. And that that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing because, um, it's possible for us to live in a society where it's where everybody can share their interpretations of mathematical things and where authority, um, where the authority of mathematics is diminished to, to some amount, like five years ago, we wouldn't have ever, we wouldn't have speculated that the internet would destroy the authority of Hollywood and Hollywood's authority to tell you who's famous and who's not. Uh, but it did. And now, Hollywood is more and more becoming just an, an afterthought and just that's the way we used to do things in the past. And we have the, we have the potential to do that with lots of different authorities. Like look at cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies are decentralized, meaning they are unregulated by governments. Um, and the fact that governments haven't been able to weasel their way into it into uh, cryptocurrencies so as to regulate them like the the entire identity of cryptocurrencies and the entire method is dependent on them being free from government control and if they are if they are influenced by government they lose their value but they um but they are decentralized and that's the value in them so basically we have this this currency that apply these currencies that apply to the entire world that go beyond the borders of different countries. So they're this next level type of currency than than fiat currencies or currencies per each country, which is what we have now. We have these cryptocurrencies that can potentially apply to the entire world. They are currency money at a greater level of intelligence and and we've arrived there, but they're at they're at a greater enough level of intelligence that they are above the level of an intelligence of governments and a government is a certain kind of authority. So there are things that we incorporate into the world that are, that are intelligences that exist at an authority that are, that, that are higher than the authorities of our defined authorities, our governments. Like it's only, it's only once we uh, reach this, 
like a, a higher level of intelligence that we can overcome the authorities of governments or the authorities of longstanding known authorities um, like academia or whatever or Hollywood. Uh, but so, yeah, and cryptocurrencies have to be decentralized. So they are uh, they are they are beyond government control. And it's like uh, if governments were able to control them, they would um, they would have started losing their their power and their value by now. But they haven't, and they're only projected to go up. And that's just a sign that uh, governments ultimately don't have any don't have any way to control this thing because it exists at a at a level of intelligence that than that of uh national governments so the authority of national governments only goes so far but that's that's uh that's explanatory because um any civilization that's ever been created has uh also been destroyed uh so the authority that was created in order to distinguish a certain culture and people and language was eventually dissolved. And uh, the authorities of all countries work that way. But we live in a time that technology uh, happens so fast and the world through the internet becomes connected at a much faster rate than ever before at an exponential rate. Um, we have the potential to overcome high levels of authority rather quickly. And, uh, like the idea that cryptocurrency could come to be the dominating currency or really just that any sort of currency that defies the borders of different countries could be the dominating currency just shows that the world is at a place where it is ready to entirely connect itself and be and and, uh, regardless of the borders that it, physical borders that exist now. Um, and yeah, like technologically speaking, that is the that those are the invasions that you have to watch out for now. They're cyber invasions, like how China influences things in America through their cyber infiltration of our networks and that kind of thing. Um, invasions are done regardless of physical borders now because the because the world is so dependent on its connection brought about by the internet. Um, but so that's that about cryptocurrencies. That's that. So I was talking about um, things are relatively truthful and relatively false that I say. Like everything I say is relatively truthful and relatively false because everything I say exists on a spectrum and a point in a spectrum is is finite. And a property of its finiteness or at least a really related factor is that it is a combination of two things, positivity and negativity. Your finiteness is a result of you being a combination of positivity and negativity because since you are finite, you are not absolute. You are incapable of being absolute or infinite. You're not infinite. And so because of that, you do not know absolute truth and you do not know absolute falseness. And you are incapable of reaching that with your speech and the things that you communicate, especially since you are already limited by your speech, since your speech involves all these instances that have been defined that are ideas that have been defined that were that are finite ideas anything that you speak is defined is a defined instance and has to be so you speak and think in finiteness and it's inevitable for you and your frame of reference is finite and everything you do 
is not absolute and that is entirely definitive of your character as a person is that you are that you are not absolute so the things that you say are automatically relatively truthful and relatively false they aren't absolutely true and they aren't absolutely false and anything that you say now that is very highly truthful will be surpassed by some greater truth down the line by somebody who has a better idea but by somebody who lives in a later generation who is able to capitalize on the body of knowledge that uh, that has been created and, and expanded in the time since you died, you know, because uh, the definitions that we create are more and more complex and we're able to create them because our, our body of knowledge becomes more and more uh, complex and, and uh, intertwined. And we see how we see how ideas are related to each other more and more. Um, and basically we're, we're understanding the truth more and more of, of the world, uh, especially in, especially since we're able to share all of our truths. Um, um, but, uh, so I was talking about that. Uh, I wanted to talk about like I, my proposal for an alternative definition for the square root of minus one. I'll talk about, I'll summarize it. Um, because, uh, so in October of 2018, I started to try to figure out the the most important unproven math problem, which is the Riemann hypothesis. And uh, I'm not I'm not skilled enough mathematically to prove the Riemann hypothesis. It's just uh, because it's like really high level math, and I've never. Uh, so I really I just had the task of trying to visualize the problem in front of me, and it is just kind of. A sort of regular looking math problem and that's why it's partially why it's so intriguing to lots of different people is that it looks like on the surface it's possibly solvable because it doesn't involve a ton of complex information it involves like a little bit of higher level math and uh, most of the classes it involves I didn't even take but uh, I wanted to try to visualize it so that I could so that I could uh, understand it I I I've never been able to visualize it. And part of the reason why it's been unproven for 150 years is because it's probably like, it's because it's impossible to visualize. Um, and it deals with, it, it deals with infinite sums and whatever, but like, so with my accolades as a mathematician, like all I have is a bachelor's degree. I shouldn't even attempt solving this thing, but I wanted to visualize it. Uh, so I started to visualize it in October 2018, and uh, I realized pretty soon that because uh, an important part of the function, the function is it involves the addition of every possible fractional amount. So it involves the addition, a function that is the addition of 1 plus 1 over 2 plus 1 over 3 plus 1 over 4 and onward ad infinitum. Um, so it involves every single fractional amount, but uh, every denominator number has has a variable as an exponent. So every denominator number is like 2 to the s, 3 to the s, 4 to the s. And s stands for a complex number, which is a number that is a real has a real part plus an imaginary part. And so that's a number that has that is like five plus three I, where three I is the imaginary part and five is the real part. Um, so that's what the variable of this problem stands for. It stands for a complex number 
such as 5 plus 3i, where it's a real number plus an imaginary number. Um, so I realized pretty quickly, like, oh, I don't even, I'm not able to visualize what an imaginary number is, obviously, because it's imaginary and they're not envisionable and they describe something that isn't definable. And so, um, so I realized that it would just be interesting for me to try to f tr try to figure out what the square root of minus one is and break it into different terms, like language specific to me so that I could understand what way that the square root of minus one could actually be defined that's better than the definition that's given to me. Um, and so within a month, I was like, uh, I decided that, or I came to the conclusion that the square root of minus one is better represented as one over one, but uh, like a one over one that has a emphasis it's uh it's better represented as one over one times one over one where one of the one over ones has an emphasis on the numerator and one of the one over ones has an emphasis on the denominator because uh especially you consider that one over one with an emphasis on the denominator is isn't ever isn't ever considered but both of those are the same term but an, an important part of it is that they are a product of each other. The, it's a product one over one times one over one, where the where one of the ones has an emphasis on the numerator and the other one has an emphasis on the denominator. And that is in part meant to simulate um, a product of positive, positive and negative, because a more important part of the conclusion that I arrived at is that imaginary units are, they're supposed to be described as units that are both positive and negative at the same time, meaning that they have two charges and they have two signs with them. They have a plus sign and a negative sign, and they're the product of the plus sign and negative sign uh, for every single number. So that I equals essentially one times minus one, but uh, it, it does equal that that's already notified by the definition, the square root of minus one, because the square root of I equals the square root of minus one is the same thing as I equals the square root of minus one times one. But uh, us putting in a square root is just our attempt to define it as one thing. Um, because those are the only definitions that we can speak in and communicate. We want to make it definable as opposed to undefinable. And if we had left it as the product one times minus one, then that is an undefinable instance because it, in, it infers an existence of two things equally at one time when definition is only allowed to have one thing. So it, it one times minus one involves a product that hasn't become a product yet. And it's just two factors and that's not acceptable to leave it in that form. But what I'm saying is that the square root of minus one should be left as a product because that's the important defining factor of it. But uh, so, and it should be left as one times minus one. And then two I would be um, two times minus two. It's a product two times minus two, but it's more importantly a two that retains both its positive and its negative sense. But it does that because it is by nature a product. Imaginary numbers are by nature a product, but the reason that they become undefinable to us is because we try to exact a definition for it that isn't that isn't uh, appropriate uh, because it doesn't 
it doesn't describe what's going on. Now, the person who came up with, okay, they're the units I, 2I, 3I, 4I, and they're their own thing. The guy that came up with that decided that they're not a positive unit and they're not a negative unit. They are I units. They're 1I, 2I, 3I, 4I. And he didn't prove anything in order to do that. That was just, he presented that and then that was accepted to be the most relatively truthful thought at the time. It was the prevailing argument was there a different kind of unit and we'll call it an I. Well, I'm just proposing the exact same thing that that guy did, uh, that, uh, they are their own unit, but not that they're I. They're their own unit, but they are a unit that is both positive and negative at the same time. And that is not contradictory to what the definition already is. I'm just saying that there's that's where your emphasis should be, is on that it is both positive and negative at the same time. Because in looking at it that way, you can you're you're saying new things about what definition can be besides that something that's positive and negative at the same time gives you a link into what, how to actually define something that is a negative number where a negative number could represent something like antimatter or just negativity in general. Because when we talk about negativity, we have a lot of, there are a number of manifestations of it that we understand, but we don't have a consensus like minus one is this definition. And we don't know that, but something like understanding that the product of one and minus one is I and is the first imaginary unit and that there are ways of defining it to be a product or, and, and just the properties of it are different enough that you can understand a lot of different things about it may give you a bridge into actually defining what a minus one is where we, where we aren't even able to technically define what a one is because there's lots of arguments philosophically about exactly what a number is, because it's when it comes down to it, it's just an abstraction. Um, so I'm just saying that the square root of minus one, it should be seen as a product and you get rid of the square root sign. And when you see them as products, that's important because you are, you're describing them as an idea because the idea one would retain both its positive and its negative sense. First of all, because it exists as an idea and it exists in the imagination and it exists within the individual and it exists within subjectivity because the individual has authority over everything that's within the individual. And, and so the space within an individual is the same as subjectivity, subjective space, and it has to be, it has to be a space, but it's, it's subjective space because there are a number of different la layers of authority that can exist within the individual and with, within subjectivity. Um, but so something that is both positive and negative does exist in the imagination and it exists within the individual, which is the same thing as saying that it, it exists on a spectrum. But we already know that any point that exists within a spectrum is positive and negative. So, um, it can help you try to define uh, what a point is in a infinite space, which is something that we're not readily capable of defining. Um, but so, uh, and so I describe it as like after about a month, I was like, okay, I think an imaginary number, it would be better written as instead of I, 2I, 3I, 4I, it should be one over one, two over two, three over three, four over four. 
uh, where and each one of those numbers is equal to one. But an important thing is that we don't define those, even though they are different. They're different things, and they're written differently from a symbolic perspective. Like four over four is written different from five over five is written different from six over six, but they're all equal to one. And mathematically, all that we think about is just, okay, they're all equal to one, but we don't go into what those things mean. And we're not even able to identify what the proper mode of counting denominators is. And that's why, that's why when we relate one denominator to another one that you can't just get there by adding and subtracting, subtracting, you have to do this division process or you have to equate one denominator in terms of another denominator. So every single denominator has its own mode. Um, and, uh, the way that I would describe that is that each one has its own divisibility. Like every, there's a divisibility that exists at one and at two and at three and at four and at five. And they are different enough that you have to approach them with a different set of evaluations. And meaning that in, meaning that in order to relate one denominator to another one, you have to equate or translate the languages of their divisibilities, which is a different thing from relating one numerator to another numerator, because that's just a process of adding and subtracting, meaning that like if you have three over two plus four over two, all you have to do is add the, add the numerators, and that's pretty comprehensible to us. Um, and I say that because uh, part of the alternate definition that I'm proposing is uh, has to do with divisibility, but I'm saying I'm saying things about divisibility and that's that it's an important area uh, for us to explore and understand greater what the idea of divisibility is. Um, because in saying that the square root of minus one is equal to one over one, um, and I'm partially saying that half of the way that you describe it is through divisibility and then the other half of the way that you describe it, so through the denominator and then uh, the other half of the way that you describe the product the square root of minus one, which is equal to positive one times minus one, um, you would partially describe it as the pr a product of divisibility and indivisibility, uh, where indivisibility is the opposite of divisibility. Um, and just by nature of the idea of divisibility, it happens to be written, and we have chosen to write it in a fraction form, that particular idea. The, the dynamic between the opposites, indivisibility and divisibility, uh, is like the dynamic between the numerator and the denominator, especially, especially in the sense that you, if you're talking about a number, like it's an entity, so that you are saying that a number is one thing and one definition, meaning that it is equal to one. Um, because really, what I'm saying is, at the point that I... In proposing that the square root of minus one should be something different that generally I would say that that exists outside of the realm of math as math stands right now so I'm I'm sort of proposing a new field of study in which this can exist and I'm telling you that the foundation for part of the foundation for this new field of study is um, is that you have to look at numbers like they're entities meaning you have to look at you have to look at numbers 
as if they are all equal to each other in addition to the sense in which they're all separate because mathematics and calculus deals with numbers uh, just the way that they are, like numbers the way that they're numbers, the way that they have different values and therefore are separated from each other because different values, um, when it comes down to it, is what separates one one number from another one. It's their values um, and their different definitions. And in the sense that all numbers have these different values, like 8 is a greater value than 7 is a greater value than 6, um, in that sense, all of the numbers are separated from each other and they have different borders for their definitions and they're all finite. They're all separate groupings. Um, but you also want to, so it's like the foundation for a new area of study that I'm talking about is you look at numbers in the sense that they're all equal um, instead of just that they're all separated. And in the sense that they are all equal, they're all equal to one thing in that they are all one definition. And uh, another way of describing that is from the perspective of the word numbers or the language the language of numbers, which if you're going to consider it a language, I'm just saying that to say the, the set of all numbers or the body of the body that includes every single number is called numbers. And from the perspective of numbers, every single number is the same because the language numbers is the creator of every single element and contains every single element in its definition as a manifestation of itself and therefore sees every single one of them equally. So you are perfectly capable of seeing every single number equally because that sort of way of looking at numbers exists. And specifically, it's the same as looking at them as if they are all uh, their own their own individual entity and that they're all equal to each other and that they're all the same thing as one. Um, and in the sense that they're all equal to one, you would write them as one over one, two over two, three over three, four over four, and onward, um, and in that sense, you separate every single one of them symbolically, but you say still that they're all equal to one. But uh, they're all equal to each other that way, the way that they exist in a spectrum. So I'm sort of, because, and, and a spectrum describes infinite space as opposed to finite space or subjective space, wherein anything that you would describe within an infinite space or an imaginative an imaginative space or a subjective space is um, is imaginary but uh, anything that you find in there is equal rather than separated because it has to it has to exist in reality and exist definably in order for it to be separate and have separate value so I'm describing terms it's it's almost like beyond describing numbers like I'm describing, terms or the way that any possible thing could be numbered the way that it exists in a in an imaginative space instead of in a finite space which is where we count everything normally we count things in a finite space and we're able to do that because everything in a finite space is countable meaning that it is separated like four different elephants are separated from each other and all and are are a distinct thing in reality and that's why you can count to four of them but uh, so I'm talking about numbers or at least terms like it might even go beyond numbers to say just elements of any language in an imaginative space should be represented numerically as one over one, two over two, three over three. And they are the elements that constitute um, an imaginative space or the space that exists within an individual, which is the same thing as a spectrum, because a spectrum always goes from zero to one, where one in some senses is an individual 
or you could look at it as an indivision or a lack of division because a lack of division is also a representation of of an individual but that's what the word individual is describing anyway um so so that would be like the, uh, the foundation for the field of study and i would i would also add that we already described those one over one two over two three over three as as imaginary numbers um but part of the reason so so i'll describe why you get from uh like you can already write the square root of minus one as the product one times minus one like i'm saying that the square root of minus one that's going to imply that you have to multiply something by something else to get minus one i'm saying that the thing you multiply by another thing to get minus one is just a positive and a negative one and we should leave it at that and now you have now you have the definition and there isn't a problem anymore. So that's that's a fixing of the problem. The problem, the way that I see it, is that you are trying to define it as one thing. You're trying to put a square root on it, and that's not what it's for. Um, because it's describing a, a product of positive and negative, which we, in the world we live in, are not equipped to deal with. But um, so it's already describing a product, but the important part of describing it as a product instead of as the square root of minus one is because there's a place for product space, which is uh, space time, because space time is a is a product of space and time. And so space time describes product space when we've only to this point been equipped to deal with not product space or space that deals with counting, uh, additions and subtractions, or reality, finite space, the space around us, which deals with additions and subtractions because uh, you that's how you classify and identify anything that's around you. You have to, for like a table or a whatever, you have one table and two chairs in your house. So you have to count things in order to define them, and you have to classify them in order to separate the things that you've counted that you've seen in the physical world in space, but uh, product space, which the units for, I'm saying the units for product space are imaginary numbers or basically numbers that could exist within a spectrum or are already a product. Um, those numbers apply to product space and are the units for counting within product space. But uh, counting the idea of counting that as we know it is deals with uh, finite space only so it's like counting in uh, space time space is way different and basically we have already bordered on counting in uh, imaginative space because we we use imaginary numbers in quantum mechanics uh, almost exclusively but quantum mechanics is is describing what i'm describing it's describing a space between zero and one um, and that's why it's called uh, quantum mechanics, because uh, it's it's a study of quanta or of ones, you know, um, but it, it describes a space from zero to one and like a space that deals with uh, percentages. But and I would call that an infinite space. But within that infinite space that quantum mechanics deals with, they use complex numbers, which are numbers that have a real part and an imaginary part, but they are, you need the imaginary units in order to describe what's going on in, in microscopic space in the space that is dealt with in quantum mechanics. 
Um, but I'm saying the same way that space-time is a product is basically the same way that 1 and minus 1 is a product and is the base unit of a space like space-time. And um, so uh, with space-time, so with 1 and minus 1, it would be... It's kind of like the way that one and minus one relate to each other in an additive sense is for macroscopic space, for finite space, for space, for objective space, for space outside of the individual, um, and then uh, products like multiplication deals with multiplication is for things that exist within a spectrum. In my that's that's my argument. Multiplication is not for, uh, its natural element is within subjective space. You should do multiplication and division within subjective space because that is uh, product space. So you would use the same 1 and minus 1 that you have additively in finite space, but you would, the relationship that they have in product space is as a product, um, is as well, like uh, it deals with multiplication and division basically the same way that it would deal with addition and subtraction in a finite space. It's just that the relationship is different. The entity stays the same, and the entity is something I would describe as the idea one, because the idea one would retain both its positive and negative sense, because the idea one is still talking about minus one when you are referring to one. Uh, it includes... It, the idea one includes anything that can be one, including minus one. So the idea one retains both its positive and its negative sense. Um, and is a different, uh, like communicates a different language when it is in infinite space as opposed to finite space. So what you have from finite space to infinite space is a language translation. And, and so then you have to look at addition and subtraction as uh, and so like addition and then the negation of addition is subtraction you have to look at that language and see it as a language and then see that it is translated into multiplication and division in order for us to get multiplication and division because with the so uh, operations addition and subtraction multiplication division operations themselves are like full languages and you have to look at the numbers as the the communicators of, of the languages. The numbers are nouns, and they communicate things like addition and subtraction. But but uh, I'm saying that the translation from addition, subtraction, to multiplication, division is, is like a language from finite space translated into a language in infinite space, uh, which is which is very much like uh, product space. But um, so you would be able to and, and I'm also saying that at the point that you are multiplying 1 times minus 1, you, are, you should already be writing that as 1 over 1 because that's what the relationship is implying. And we, we already have the multiplication-division relationship written as 1 over 1, but I'm saying at the point that you translate that language, you're not supposed to see it as plus and minus anymore in the in the additive and subtractive sense because you are you translated into a language that exists in a different medium which is infinite space and uh 
I'm not saying that all multiplication and division should be written that way. Like multiplication and division in a finite space that involves negative numbers uh, should carry on the same way it does. Like any mathematical operation that carries on multiplying and dividing negative numbers is fine. Um, I'm just, I'm talking about numbers as the way that they relate to each other in in infinite space. And I'm, I'm trying to establish some of the rules for it. But uh, so in an infinite space, any anything that you define is equal. And that has to do with uh, rather than that they have separated values and exist in reality. And that has to do with that. Every one of them is, is uh, sort of like a falseness or in, in authority because anything in subjective space is an authority. Uh, that's why they call it subjective space. Any, any, anything that you define in a subjective space is a subjector and has, authority over some part of the space and has to be um and has to be a space because it's including what it has authority over um but uh, and authorities are ultimately falsenesses but i'll probably i would explain that at a different time but the reason that you um you would translate one and minus one into one over one at the point that you're calling it a product and and describing its use as a unit within like space time or product space, because I'm saying that I'm saying that space time is representative of, of product space um, because it combines finiteness and infiniteness. But uh, at the point that I'm describing why time is sort of like negation, because space is like space is position Um but at the point that I'm describing time as negation, that's difficult. I don't know. I, I wouldn't know exactly why um, I'd want to describe that as negation. But you have you have uh, in imaginative space, you have space time, which kind of gives you a door into or a window, a look into what like time could be defined as and why it would could be equated to something that's negative. But uh, so as long as it's additive and subtractive, it's uh, as long as it's something that's additive, it exists as a point or which is the same thing as defined mathematically as in indivisibility. It's an in, it's a part that is not divisible at all. Um, but anything that you count is generally a point and that is shown by a number line seeing as that every single number on a number line positive or negative if you're like counting negative things or counting positive things they're all points and a point represents a a positive uh just generally speaking because uh the entire set of counting numbers are all positives and you could uh, you could put them all under that umbrella of positive and you could describe every single number as a positive. Um, like, uh, rather than all as, as numbers, they could also be described as positives, but, uh, also because they're points, they are all positions. They're all, they're all, they're all the noun form of the adjective positive. They're all positives, but a positive is an adjective. So the proper term would be a position. A point is a position. And if you think about a point being a position or in, in regular space, it is 
also the same thing as a location because uh, anything that you count is uh, is a location and if you're counting uh if you're counting six bottles um what you have is six different locations always like they have to be separated in a, into at least two locations in order for you to count two of them you couldn't count the same bottle in the exact same place twice because there's only one bottle per space uh, so any anything that you count is a point or a position or in like geographically speaking is a location uh, but uh, so then you have to consider so I'm saying I'm saying that an imaginary number is the product of positive one and and negative one so then you have to look at what the opposite of a position is and that is a negation so so the units that I'm talking about are position position negations and for a number of reasons you might describe uh, you might describe a negation as sort of like a division because the only points that you can describe in infinite space are are divisions but uh, more importantly you want to think of what is the negation of a position in order to understand what a negation is so you have a position and that's a point so say you have one point in all of the united states and you would have to consider so the space that you're dealing with is all of the united states instead of like the universe or the world or anything we've defined the space that the point exists in to be the united states so you pick a point in the united states and that's your first point and you could count more points if you wanted but i'm just going to deal with one so say you pick like jefferson city missouri and so so you pick jefferson city missouri and that's your point and that's your that's the position that you're considering and you want to understand how jefferson city missouri can exist as a negation as long as the space is the united states and the space that you pick is sort of arbitrary like i said you could make it the universe or the world but it's easier for this example to say that the space is all of the united states just the borders the borders of it so as long as you've only considered one point um, and you're not you're not identifying any other point. The only city or thing that you've defined in the entire United States is Jefferson City, Missouri, and everything else is just space. Um, but in order to write Jefferson City as a negation of that position, uh, it's not you can't just take away the position because then all that all that you have is space, and there's no way to designate Jefferson City, Missouri as long as you've just taken out the only point that's there and all that you're left with is space because uh, minus two if you if you labeled that point and I'm saying any it's like any city that you could label in the United States would be representative of a number because you could also number all the cities because when it comes down to it there's a finite number of cities um, but if you considered like one of the cities and it was representative of the third number it was like the third city that you numbered um in order to consider its negation the negation of the position of that city um and it was like it was number three you wouldn't uh to consider the negation of number three you can't just take away the point because minus three is designated to be three it's distinguished as three um, rather than distinguished as nothing, because that's what you would be doing if you just took away the point. You would change 
Jefferson City, Missouri into nothing um, rather than change it into its negative sense. So to change it into its negative sense, you would have to fill in all of the space around Jefferson City, Missouri, so that if you had considered it before to be uh, just a point uh, dot in infinite white space, now it is a white dot in infinite black space, and you've changed the you've changed the uh, the, the dynamics of of the space and the point. Uh, you've changed the the color scheme, but you've changed it in a binary sense, which is exactly what you want to do. But that is that is how you would um, designate a lack of space for a specific space. You would fill in everything around it, but still designate the space as 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 space now. Now it is space where it used to be a point, even though it is representative of a space. So it's you would call it something other than that. So it used to be a space, like a position or a location. Now it is a specific lack of lack of location, um, and that is the negation of the specific thing that you defined, whether it be Jefferson City, Missouri. So it's like it's not Jefferson City, Missouri, if you fill in all the rest of the space and define all the rest of the space except for it. Um, or if you if you designated it to be four, that's the same thing as minus four. Um, so the opposite of a position is a is a negation. So that's so the product I'm, I'm describing is both of those things, but that specific point. It's the negative and the positive sense of that point, but they both exist in the same place in the in the way that I just described and that is what space-time that would be to me a good representation or at least a good start of how you would describe space-time or uh, or product space so that's a good way of acknowledging why that point is a plus one and it is a it is a minus one but um, the reason that at the point that you make it a product, you want to translate it into a numerator denominator form or a one over one instead of a plus one times a minus one is that uh, um, when it's a point, it is the same thing as in indivisibility or an in individual or in indivision um, by, by the mathematical definition of a point. It's an, it's an indivisible... Um, Location. It's it's an indivisibility. A point is an indivisibility. So, with that in mind, the lack of point or a negation is a is the opposite of an indivisibility. But you can look at how the one and the negation of one exists to understand that that the relationship between the positive and then the anti-positive of it um, is what's important to consider. So. You have to consider the opposite of indivisibility, which is divisibility. And just by the property of the idea divisibility, who has its antithesis um, indivisibility uh, alongside it, by the, by the properties of that idea, it just happens to be written in a numerator-denominator form. Um, and that's how, you, that's how you arrive at indivisibility and divisibility. But... I'm saying it's the same thing as a position negation, which is how you would want to describe it as a positive times a negative. Um, it's the same thing because a point is both a is both a point, meaning that it is a positive, but it is also in in division, meaning that it is a 
It is the antithesis of a division. Um, where, so when you consider multiplication and division, where the numerator or like the multiplicative sense is uh, indivisibility, because an indivisibility is something that has power over one, where a divisibility is something that does not have power over one and therefore rests below one. Um, when you consider that dynamic, it's important because it opposes the position negation in that the positive sense of a divisibility indivisibility is sort of like already in the already in the negative realm because the positive sense is division is the idea division which i'm saying exists at a at a minus one in a sense um uh the positive of the idea is division but the anti of the idea is indivision which exists positively and so that is uh that is opposing to position negation where the positive sense of position negation is in the positive realm already and the negative sense is in the negative realm. But the positive sense being in the positive realm and the negative sense being in the negative realm is the only way that we would understand it anyway. But what I'm describing to you with the divisibility-indivisibility dynamic is a certain relationship that exists as antithetical to the positive-negative relationship. It's a relationship that paints negative as positive and positive as negative, which is a possibility and a realm that we should consider because uh, it's possible, because the reverses of things are always uh, possible and always to be considered. And I think it's, it's the considering of the negative of a lot of ideas that can uh, really explain more of what they are. The properties of the idea one, which include positive one and negative one, are so far reaching that they also that they include all four operations as long as you as long as you translate the addition subtraction relationship to the multiplication division relationship properly. Um, that's me uh, attempting to describe why you should write positive one times negative one as as one over one and it has to do with the properties of the idea divisibility which strongly intersect the properties of the idea position um, and and negation but uh, product space is ultimately within within the individual and it involves and therefore exists in a spectrum and if you had listened to my previous episode, I was saying how points in a spectrum are both positive and negative. So what I'm talking about is, uh, with all of that is like a spectrum that goes from, that goes from positive to negative, but in a different sense goes from, uh, it goes from positive to negative the other way, but in the, in a way that's antithetical to the first positive negative direction. And that antithesis is uh would be something like the idea of divisibility and indivisibility but uh and i was also saying in the previous episode that a spectrum is some is both a frequency and a wave um and where a full frequency is like a point uh because a full frequency is is a one and uh and a wave is is much like a division, which I'll explain also in the future. But 
long story short, a spectrum with uh, at one end wavelength and the opposite of frequency, and then at the other end frequency and the opposite of wavelength aligns very well with the ideas uh, negative. The idea of the of a spectrum that I just described, where negation and uh, division are at the same end and opposite of the end that is position and indivision. Uh, because that uh, a comprehensive way to describe the whole thing is the dynamic between a particle and a wave because a frequency is like a point or a particle or something to be considered objectively and a wave is a falseness or an authority or a position in imaginative space. Uh, and they both, uh, so the bookends of a spectrum are kind of well-defined by the multiplication, division, addition, subtraction dynamic that I just described. And the points that exist that constitute the spectrum are, uh, points that are a combination of, uh, division and indivision and go one over one, two over two, three over three, four over four. Uh, and so on to fulfill the entire spectrum. And so every one of, of those would be like frequencies. Um, so I'm just describing, I'm trying to, I'm trying to explain, <laughs> trying to explain. And it's like, I get all uptight about it. I get kind of uptight. I forget that it's a podcast sometimes when like I'm explaining that because it's not, it's not that important that I get it all on one go, but that's what I try to do. Like it has to, and like I'm describing it now and this is the time I have to describe it and I won't get, because you can record endless hours of a podcast and I can't really get that through my head. Woe is me, right? Man. Like that's not, that's more just like, it makes me uh, tense. But the thing is, when you have when you have an idea like that, like I feel like uh, the link is a good link, like between all of those things. Uh, I feel like I have to explain it to some degree. If I have an alternate definition for the square root of minus one that I find interesting, I definitely want to talk about it, and so that you just you just get through talking about it. Um, but it doesn't have to be all in one go. Like, we're all human. <laughs> like, like we're all human. We're all finite. We're all incapable of absolutes. And so the actions that I perform are not going to be perfect. And I'm going to do things like... You shouldn't try to, for, you shouldn't try to look for forgiveness for everything you do. You shouldn't, like, you infringe on somebody else's territory and they let you know about it, you shouldn't try to right the wrong because you just gotta, you just gotta let that happen. You just gotta let yourself be human and infringe on people's territory because that's, that's what happens. You can't live your entire life trying to protect against not crossing everybody else's boundaries because you'll drive yourself insane and you can't right every single wrong because you're not God, you're a human. You can't try to be forgiven by everybody all at one time because 
secret is there's somebody secretly hating you, especially if you are trying to be perfect and right every single wrong. There are people that secretly like, wow, that guy fucking sucks because, uh, because he's never, he's always has to be better than everybody else. He always has to walk around like he's, uh, got everything perfect. You know, there'll be people that secretly hate you. If you, if you try to be perfect when they have the mindset, like just be human, man, there, there's that just be human man's, uh, there's just be human man. And then there's be more than human, be more than human. I encourage you all to be more than human today, but it's only at the point that you can recognize that you're just a person that you can be okay with doing things because then you're okay. Then you don't have to worry about it going perfectly because if you are not, if you're not focused on that, you're just a person like everybody else, you will drive yourself insane trying to please everybody. But that's just common sense, right? That's common sense. Uh, these are, these are vague general generalisms of my travels here on the earth. And, uh, they're, it's just, you should, uh, yeah. And now that I'm done, I can make it as long as I want. I can make it as long as I want. I mean, we're all here, right? Here we are. We're all here. I'm here. Great. My dog is uh, sleeping. He was really annoying before. Sometimes I get mad at my dog because he whines. Sometimes I do that. Uh, and I have a lot of, I get kind of conflicted about that because I feel like you're always supposed to think that your dog is only doing right and is never annoying. Like your dog can, your dog is, can be annoying. Like that's not true. Like if you look up anything on online about like, what should I do? Like, like how much water should I give my dog? And it's like your dog <laughs> deserves 20 gallons of water every day and ha like just let him out to pee every five seconds. And because, uh, you only, the only acceptable response for your relationship with your dog is to, is self-sacrifice, like is make it so that you don't even exist. Like that would be because the internet description of it is kind of this idealistic thing. Uh, but I know that, I know that in the real world, people aren't, people aren't like perfectly like making sure their dog is pampered all the time. Uh, it's just like when you haven't ever owned a dog, you start to feel like you're supposed to live up to like an ideal relationship because you have the authorities on dog dumb and they're really uptight the same way just authorities are like, uh, my whole deal is fuck authority. So no, well, I guess I kind of, I don't, 
I don't enjoy recognizing authority, but you don't. You don't in life. I don't enjoy recognizing authority, but if you look at it from the perspective of time, there is no authority that is true or better than any other authority because they all crumble in from the perspective of time. And um, the the perspective of time is an acceptable perspective because it's a real, it's a valid one, it's a real one. In fact, it's the most real one. It's the most truthful perspective because it reveals all the falseness of all the authorities. Um, and what am I supposed to do when I when I know that that's true? It's not like I don't. Uh, I definitely live by the rules of authority and and the norms of society, which are authorities in a sense. I live by the norms of, of authority. Like I listen to the police. It's not like I'm always trying to break the rules. It's just that like at the end of the day, I don't really care about recognizing it. And I don't think anybody should tell me how, like, I don't think anybody has the right to tell me that their perspective is better than mine when everybody's opinion is subjective, but there's a place for authority is the problem. Like authority is a really, there's a place for authority. You have to be an authority. Sometimes you have to, you have to impose falseness on other people. You have to, to, in order to be an authority, but that's, that's more for another time. I'm not going to, I can't just, no, I mean, I could talk about authority like forever. Same way I could talk about identity forever. Uh, I just like, I feel better now that I'm not talking about all that position negation. Like, like, because when I get, it's like, just feels tense. Like I really have to explain it right. Position negation, but like, it is, it is, uh, it's like space time. It's like product space and, uh, and complex numbers are what's used for quantum mechanics because it's describing an infinite space and basically the framework of infinite space as described by quantum mechanics, they haven't gotten very far and it's very confusing because you can't quantify anything within a one, within a quanta it's, it's, uh, you can't, you can't count. It's hard to count. The rules for counting are different. Everything is different in an in infinite space because we don't know how to describe infinity. And that's what quantum mechanics is. It's a description of infinity. It's you trying to put words to infinity. And what you run into is just all kinds of gibberish that needs to be described with complex numbers, which are numbers that have a real part and an imaginary part and are essentially imaginary numbers. You need imaginary numbers to describe an imaginary space. Uh, and it's this, it's the space from zero to one or the space within a one. And so to me, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, the space from zero to one describes infinity. It does because it is a space that's presumably indivisible. It's an indivisible, it's a one, it's a space and, uh, infinity. The only way that you can start to identify spaces within infinity is to take out is to mark a point but uh but it's basically by dividing the only way that you can mark out space within infinity is by making divisions and making categories 
That's the only way that you can count within an infinite space, is you create categories. For example, look at the visible spectrum. You can count, that is a spectrum, it's an infinite space, there's infinite shades of color from one end to the other. Um, but it is, you can categorize it as red, orange, yellow, even though the entire thing is one congealed velocity, really. It's just one, one, it's one giant acceleration is, is any spectrum. It's a, it's an acceleration from beginning to end because any one point that you consider on it is a velocity. And then the next point over is a higher velocity and a change in velocity is an acceleration. So from one end of a spectrum to the other end, the whole thing is an acceleration. Um, but you can categorize within a spectrum, meaning you can be like, this is where yellow ends and where orange begins, but it's totally arbitrary. That division that you made isn't real. It's just a categorization and categorizations aren't real. Divisions aren't real because they are, they are categorizations and you can take that categorization out and make it something else whenever you want. It's, it, you can, it's just like, a artistic space you can you can define things any way you want and that is what the space for an individual is that is what your mind is doing as you exist within the individual and you subjectively define everything you categorize everything meaning you put these barriers around everything to organize it to yourself you you put barriers around everything in order to define it when in when it would just exist as all these ideas but because we've defined all the ideas and put borders around them you can you can divide them to yourself but it is it's based on your definitions and so those categorizations are based on how you've defined things and how you've come to define things and they differ person to person even though they are there's an objective truth to any one of those definitions it's just that that objective truth is what's true about it across everybody's definition of it. So it's what is intersectional to ev to every single person's borders of that idea. Um, and there's, uh, yeah, as long as, I guess I wouldn't know if somebody's like calling something entirely wrong. Would not to describe that. It's not within the objective truth of the idea. If they're totally misidentifying a word and describing it as something wrong, you know, even though they're giving it that name. Um, yeah. So that's that's all that I have for you. Uh, don't ever listen to this podcast again. Uh, please, please stop hearing me. I don't. I don't want to be heard. Psych. Do you guys know about uh, the weather? Oh boy, it sure gets windy. There's there's wind, uh, sun, partly cloudy, uh, uh, seventy degrees, and uh, sleet. And the thing is, you can have any one of them. And they exist in an infinite space. And they all exist infinitely except that you define it. Like, what? <laughs> what, is, what is he talking about? That's probably the overwhelming response to this podcast. What does he want? What is he saying? 
Well, you get sleet and snow together, and they they combine to be in product space. It's hard to talk about that and not sound like you're just a, a, like fixating on nonsense. Or that's the way that you could think about it to yourself. But then I break it down. Then I'm like, oh, see, I'm aware enough to realize that I sound like a lunatic. So that it makes it better. If you can define to other people what you're doing, then you can explain that what then it seems to people that your explanation came from a place that was rational. So you just got to fake it till you make it. All you got to do is bullshit for, for the podcast because it doesn't, uh, for, and then, so, uh, recording doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter if everything I said was entirely true. Like, because if it was entirely true, it is only relatively truthful, and it will be surpassed by better ideas. I'm just trying to present a more relatively truthful idea. And I'm so apologetic and sorry about it. Oh, man. I just wish that these ideas weren't from me. No, I love saying them. I want the ideas to be from me. I want to have influence in the world. You know, that's why you say them. Like everybody's out here, but you have to understand that you are nothing. I'm not shit. I'm not shit. Podcast isn't shit. I play guitar. No, you don't. Yeah, but I play guitar. No. I actually started learning flute. Oh, tell me more. Like, why are people like, um, my grandma's favorite number was 11,321, and that's how many cupcakes we had at her funeral. My grandma always wore an antelope pendant, and so we had a live antelope at her funeral and buried her in an antelope casket. What? That's fine. That's fine. Um, I'm not going to be up in arms about that. I'm just saying. There's that. That exists. There's my grandma's favorite number is 390. And so we only had 390 people at the funeral. She knew thousands of people. Or she knew less than that. You added strangers. My relatives, uh, everybody's got relatives, everyone. Doesn't matter where you are in the world, someone has relatives. I visited uh, Afghanistan and um, so I guess it's time to end this and um, uh Live free or die hard. Signing off.